0: Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.
1: We now return to discussing which used the snacks at the movie theater we love walking by while trying to get seats for the early show right here on the Blog and the boys podcast network no actually it's the hidden yardage podcast i'm mark lane joined by sean martin and it's the combine folks Woo. how are you feeling about it sean
0: yeah, I feel like my draft prep this year can be described as like the last semester college senior trying to cram for finals on like the last, you know, two days of the year. Um, so the combine is definitely a good signal that I should, you know, get rolling on starting to learn these prospects a little bit more than I already have. But certainly it helps differentiate, you know, what round these guys are going to go and who's interested in who and the interviews are a big part of it. And we're going to have it all covered for you. So, yeah, definitely excited to uh, you know cross off this next milestone in the offseason process. After that, full speed ahead to the draft, and you know, then before you know it, after that, we have some more actual football things to talk about. So it's going to be a good week in Indianapolis. Yeah,
1: and of course there will be Cowboys storylines as well, uh, not just with the draft prospects, but with free agency and the uh, state of the franchise. Uh, and we'll be getting into some of those. You can follow Sean on Twitter at Sean Martin NFL. You can follow me on Twitter at the real Mark Lane and be sure to subscribe to us on Apple, Spotify, Tune In and Stitcher. And as always, we've got the focus group behind the glass making sure that I get all my musical references correctly, like <laughs> you know, ROI Speedwagon or whatever.
0: Yeah, you get a whole you get a whole production staff and you still can't get the free letters of the, of the band, right? I'm I'm just a dude with a headset over here, but you know.
1: Yeah, right, right. Yeah, well, hopefully I'll be able to nail some of these Cowboys storylines uh, that are anticipated over the course of the Combine. And as I said, I mean, its I think a lot of this is because it is the Dallas Cowboys. Every NFL team will have their general manager and their coach speak at the Combine. But with Dallas, it's just a little bit different because you get Steven on Monday – And then you've got McCarthy, he talks on Wednesday. But then, I think on Thursdays, you then have Jerry on the bus, which is just kind of like, you know, this rolling out of the red carpet and going to talk to Jerry, and it's almost like talking to him at, uh, you know, some southern state down in Alabama or something in the middle of july and there's uh lemonade waiting for you and all that kind of kind of stuff it just has a different feel with cherry on the bus so like i said there's all these storylines what three storylines are you looking forward to throughout this 2023 combine sean
0: yeah i think first and foremost um interested in seeing you know where this quarterback interest that the Cowboys have goes there's rumors from everybody from CJ Stroud who would be of course a projected anywhere from number one overall to top 10 of what you have to do to get up there from 26 would you know certainly send seismic waves through the draft the Cowboys are sending that kind of signal about you know how they see this thing going in Dak Prescott's future but then they're also linked to other players that would make sense to get on the roster and replace potentially Cooper who's about to hit free agency. And we know the value that Russ brought in backing up Prescott this season. And Jerry has spoken to the value of, you know, having that type of player in past seasons where the year has been lost when you lost your starting quarterback, be it Romo, or Prescott. So now, can you get a rookie in here that gives you that same value and develops to be the future of the team? That's where a guy like Hendon Hooker. They talked about Max Duggan at the Senior Bowl, and the overwhelming consensus is that you know the Senior Bowl produces at least one Cowboys draft pick every year. They love to take players that participate in the Mesa Senior Bowl. So whether it's Duggan, somebody else, or multiple players, which has happened before. This team wants to take a quarterback this year, where they do it and you know how interested they are in getting that done in the top one hundred or even in the first round will certainly be telling. And you know, we have another draft where typically the first overall pick is decided to be a quarterback, but for the second year in a row we have a team that doesn't necessarily need a quarterback up there. It was the Jaguars last year, the year after already taking Trevor Orange, and then now we have the Bears who seem to you know, want to be committed at the moment to Justin Fields. So whenever that happens, other teams being interested in the quarterback certainly shakes things up and allows for a lot of potential trades and movement. So most interested to see you know just how fleshed out this idea of the Cowboys adding another quarterback can be when it comes to Joey and Steven talking. Yeah,
1: the thing with the quarterback, though, is if you'll remember, they did a Zoom interview that they put on their official channels with Jalen Hurts in 2020 and this was when Dak Prescott was under the franchise tag um and so there was a lot made that the Cowboys were going to take Jalen Hurts and of course he goes in the second round though um but they were going to take him and they were going to move on from Dak instead that's exactly what happened to Carson Wentz in Philadelphia which of course is hilarious And I totally think R.J. Ochoa should tease Brandon Lee Gowton about that on Wednesday's edition of the NFC East mixtape right here on the Blog and the Boys Podcast Network. But even if he doesn't, it doesn't detract from the fact that Dallas talked to Hertz, And I think they do this quarterback interest thing, and people zoom in on it and get agitated or have expectations of – Moving on from Dak, but really what I think they're doing is they're just doing, I hate using this word, but due diligence (laughs) of, hey, these are the guys, they're going to be the signal callers, it's a quarterback-driven league, they need to get early prep work on how to stop these guys and what their tells are and where some of their weaknesses are in case they have to see them twice a year. I think that's what a lot of this is, and uh, just, you know, uh, little magicians know how to use sleight of hand to get people agitated about it, kind of like, you know, Pavlov's dog.
0: And, you know, the Cowboys kind of get a pass when it comes to having some past quarterback evals that, you know, have certainly been shaky to say the least, and, you know, that's because of what Dak Prescott has given them into position now with, you know, a career high and league high. In interceptions this year, I get that fans have that reason to be down a little bit at this particular moment on Prescott going into next season, and that will certainly add fuel to the fire, depending on if and where they draft another quarterback to be his developmental backup. But you know, we still can't forget that they were in on Paxton Lynch as a second potential second-round pick. They were in on you know Connor Cook being a second-round pick, and not only are neither of those players in the league anymore. Paxton Lynch has got benched in the XFL, so you know this team deserves a lot of credit for how they draft other positions, but quarterback is one that's obviously the most important to get right, and they've been able to kind of stumble and backdoor their way into the last two quarterbacks, but a lot of what we talk about, both last last offseason and this current one, is kind of more of the long-term future of the team, and why don't they go all in? It's because they're looking more down the road, and you know they already have a potential out for Mike McCarthy, and now they have a changing of Ezekiel Elliott potentially coming. You know We're talking about this being a long-term team that keeps their options open to stay relevant for, you know, beyond even when Prescott could be here. And if it's not going to be Prescott, well then do we trust them to have that quarterback on the roster who's ready to give them anything close to what Prescott's given them? And just based on, you know, the Paxton Lentz and Connor Cook ideas being fresh in our minds still, they get a pass and we can laugh about it just a little bit, but it still makes you nervous in terms of just how well they're evaluating these quarterbacks and, You know, get a look at some really good ones, though, with the Combine when it comes to Hendon Hooker and Stroud and Max Duggan. Those are all the names that could be intriguing for Dallas fans.
1: Well, let me throw a little water onto the grease fire with the quarterback evaluations by saying this. I do wonder if their intense prep work of the quarterback class, not just, oh, C.J. Stroud and Rice Young or even... Will Levis, who Daniel Jeremiah compared to Dak Prescott um, on his conference call on February 24th, but the Cowboys' entire evaluation of the quarterback class is to have that signal caller ready for when they have the reset after they fire Mike McCarthy – If they do it after the 2024 season and Dak Prescott's contract is a little more flexible, you can get out of it. What if they're doing this prep work in anticipation of that potential reset?
0: Well, that's kind of what I was getting at in terms of, you know, it makes sense to start preparing that way. But at the same time, this is a talented enough roster to, you know, continue to think that you can go and have success again this season. You know, they're, they're off back-to-back 12-win season. So the idea that you need to keep kicking the can down the road, and no, they're not quite ready to win yet, we're just going to slowly tool this thing. You know, it doesn't work like that in the NFL. It's one step forward, three steps back, and then two more forward on any given year. There's a worst of 1st team every year. You know, there's teams that pick first overall, and then they're in the playoffs. So, you know, it, does, it just doesn't work like that in terms of thinking that you're in a good place to consistently find long-term success. You know, the division was pretty much handed to you two years ago. And then this year, you finally faced a little bit of competition in the division with the Eagles being as good as they were and getting all the way to the Super Bowl. And it knocked you out of, you know, potentially having that first round bye and having to go through the wild card round. So now we expect the Eagles to still be contenders. We see what the Giants did in, in year one under Brian Dable and, you know, Washington maybe get a boost from hiring Eric Biennemi. There's any possible amount of permut- permutations that, you know, keep the Cowboys from, having the success that they think they're building towards. And one of those things that goes right up to the top of the list is, you know, certainly if they have to be trusted to find a Dak Prescott replacement in the draft, which is just something that they haven't shown they can do when it comes to quarterbacks in the draft.
1: All right. Here are my three storylines uh, for the combine this week uh, running back. I think that's going to be a storyline of whether it's keep Pollard, let him go cut Zeke, zeke redoes his contract or just taking a look at the running back class uh particularly the kid from texas and just uh the the whole crop of running backs and if dallas could add someone kind of like the new tony pollard someone that they take uh, in round four you know uh first available pick on day three type of situation. Second storyline is Tyron Smith. Uh, just what happens there. Uh, only about 23% of his contract is guaranteed, you know, so they could be moving on from him. And then I think this one may come up is CD lamb in the fifth year option. Because on May the 2nd is when teams uh, decide on fifth year options for first year. um, I mean, for their 2020 first round picks, of which CeeDee Lamb is the Cowboys. So I think there'll be a lot of talk on that. Then I'm going to throw a bonus in here. Speaking of the 2020 draft class, uh, this will be the final year under contract of Trayvon Diggs' contract with the Cowboys. It was their second-round pick in 2020. And so I think at the Combine is when someone asks either Stephen or Jerry about, hey, how are negotiations with... Trayvon Diggs have you thought about him yet
0: yeah, he's been such a mainstay in the secondary it just feels like he's already a guy that you expect to be here forever but certainly you know the money has to be right and we know this front office now in the past couple of years is no stranger to you know moving on from big name players if the money isn't right and trying to spin us on you know oh well we saved the money that we would have had to pay him and look at these four or five other players that we got because of it and you know, the, the sum of that equals is better than the one player. The secondary doesn't exactly work like that. You know, you can you can make the case that one shutdown cornerback, you know, makes enough of a difference in the game, regardless of even who he's playing around, to the point where you can't just move on from digs and take two other corners and try to cover the whole field the way that he takes away half the field and, you know, should have had that interception in the 49ers game that really would have toned things. So, yeah, he's a difference maker that, You have to find a way to keep for sure, and those questions are going to start as soon as this week in Indianapolis. I'm glad you mentioned the running backs. I had that as one of my points as well. You know, just like last year was a good year to need an offensive lineman, and the Cowboys took advantage of that and drafted Tyler Smith, who had a strong rookie season, of course. This is a great year to need the type of running back that, you know, the Cowboys are looking at and that the Cowboys might feature when it comes to. Tony Pollard being more of the lead back. How can you back him up with another kind of pass-catching, scat-back, whatever you want to call it, in Mike McCarthy's new offense? And you got guys like Zach Sarbonet, Jameel Gibbs from Alabama. Tyzai Spears stole the uh, senior bowl. So, again, that puts him firmly on the Cowboys' radar. He he is a great prospect out of Tulane. Deuce Vaughn out of Kansas State is another late-round option. That could be intriguing. So, more than just Bijan Robinson, who will continue to be a mock draft name for the Cowboys in the first round. For the fans that don't want him to go running back in the first round, which at the moment I would certainly include myself in that. Good year to need one of these other late-round running backs to step up, and I think the Cowboys should be keeping a close eye on you know at least those four names and a whole bunch of others when it comes to what they can do and pairing a new rookie running back with Tony Pollard.
1: Yeah, and Dallas, they kind of got in this position because of the Ezekiel Elliott contract, and now Dallas, they they're – Over $10 million, um, they're $10 million over the salary cap for the 2023 season. And they've got to be, uh, you know, right at $224.8 million um, or or under it by 3 p.m. Central time on March 15th, which is the new league year. So how do you think that Dallas is able to do that? Um, they need to get some contract, some contracts restructured. What are a couple of Cowboys contracts you would restructure to get Dallas under that so that they can make some moves in free agency?
0: So I know we kind of prefaced this so last week talking about who we think, you know, the ultimate cap- casualties are going to be, players that – Aren't worth restructuring or that you're not going to be able to, and you have more of an opportunity to save against the cap by just moving on from them. And you know, we both kind of took the opportunity to put Ezekiel Elliott atop that list, but the restructure option is still very plausible with him. You know, you could save up to 7.3 million with that. They are just um, seven mil around seven mil over the cap right now, of course. Ezekiel Elliott's release number fits so nicely in the Tony Pollard's franchise tag number that that's another option for, you know, what might be even more enticing about your running back situations as opposed to just using Ezekiel Elliott's contract to get you to bare minimum under the cap, using it to keep Tony Pollard and then moving on to other restructures that actually give you the cap space to go do what, you know, they might be able to in free agency. But I think the other one is Marcus Lawrence. He's already familiar with, Restructuring his contract. He's a veteran who, at this point in his career, has been pretty vocal about just wanting to be on winning teams and understanding he's not getting any younger. He's also, you know, seeing all these young defensive linemen that Dan Quinn is just bringing in and getting the absolute most out of and saying, you know, the writing could be on the wall in terms of how much longer I have here and, you know, how much they can think that he could be replaceable as the years go by. But at this moment, certainly he's not a replaceable player. You know, what he gives you, just as far as a locker presence as far as the run defense we know and of course in pass rush and being able to get even more depth on the defensive line this offseason and in the draft I think will be a priority that could still give you the best football that DeMarcus Lawrence still has left in him but can you get down from you know what his contract number is which 30 million of that is fully guaranteed no matter what they do so I think that suits DeMarcus Lawrence nicely to you know work with the team once again and help get his cap number down and get some more talent here because of it, especially on the defensive side of the ball, and you know, go try to win this thing while Dan Quinn is still here. It's just some of those
1: contracts with a the restructure, these players are understanding of what it means. It's sacrificing the, um, the assurity of the contract for an immediate payout, which then makes you more dispensable later on in your contract.
0: Yeah, DeMarcus Orange is the second highest cap hit on the entire team behind Prescott. We all kind of understand, you know, the asterisk that goes next to the quarterback position when it comes to just having to pay market value if you want to be in contention. So the Cowboys are certainly doing that. They have a quarterback that they feel gives them a chance and you have to pay the price for that. They're doing that. But then right under him is, you know, defensive end to, again, you feel like if all these young and upcoming players that could be replaceable in the coming years, but as far as making the 2023 Cowboys the best possible version of themselves, you want the Marcus Lawrence out there. And so that's why he's a really strong candidate to hopefully take a restructure and help the Cowboys cap situation.
1: Yeah, it's funny, Lawrence, when they signed him to an extension in, in the 2019 off season, um, Steven Jones was trying to, I don't know, lack of a better term, make him feel sorry or whatever that, They had Dak Prescott's contract to work with and Jalen Smith and Ezekiel Elliott and Amari Cooper and all this kind of stuff. And Tank was just like, well, I mean, that's your problem to make it all work, not mine.
0: Oh, absolutely. I mean, at the time, especially too, the defensive line in particular wasn't, you know, as surrounded by talent Orange was asked to do a whole lot and really carried the defense, the whole defense at times. And, Carried that unit, so you know he had way more leverage at that time in terms of being worth his contract, and he still is worth what he's making for this team, and it's just a matter of you know again continuing that along with some other veterans like you know the Tyron Smiths and Ezekiel Elliott. What is it worth to continue trying to squeeze every last drop out of him, or can you continue to trust how well you draft? But I know you've hit on hit on it before. You know, trusting how you draft is one thing, and that's all great and fine, but it just doesn't add up to you know, being in contention, being in the last game of the season, making a Super Bowl where we just saw you know, the Chiefs and Eagles, two rosters that are so dynamic in how they're built, and not just for the draft, but for the agency and trades as well. So just continuing to kick back to the draft doesn't get you to where you want to go in the manner of time that makes it worthwhile to have those veterans out there. You know, I talked last week about you know, how it was such a great story that Tyron Smith was able to come back last year at all. And when he did come back, he played right tackle and he was that mercenary and he was the perfect example of you know, the type of veterans you need to win. But of course, it still didn't work out that way. And now, you know, in one short offseason that we're not even really through yet, we just started, we're already talking about this being a better team without Tyron Smith. So you want those veterans that you can win with. But if you're so built and predicated on the draft, you know, just a couple of those veteran players don't really put you over the top. And it's just more of a more of a mix that they need in terms of using all, you know, and Steven says it all the time, all the ways of player acquisition it's 365 and all that, but it just doesn't show on this roster, and, you know, it's something that can hold them back.
1: And the other, I don't really disagree with your list of players that need restructuring, but I would throw these two in there just because you never know where you might need these dollars, and they could be... Helpful in getting your draft class signed on time for training camp. The first one is defensive end Dorrance Armstrong. If you restructure him, according to Over the Cap, Dallas would save a little over $2 million. And then, I know this is going to sound funny, but I would I would restructure Brian Anger, uh, the punter, because that saves you five hundred and seventeen thousand five hundred
0: dollars well,
1: <laughs> and you don't know where you might need that
0: i i uh i like to think i come to this show pretty prepared but i was not ready to hear how much you could save which is less than a million in restructuring a pun of that
1: i mean you know that could be the loose change in your center console <laughs> of your car i mean you know there's sometimes that pays it, on, on the Joey bus meter. yeah
0: if there's got to be that much money just like under the couches on the Joey bus so I'm not too worried about the partner contract, but hey if they get it done and you know he's still here, he's made a pro Bowl and that's all good so.
1: yeah, and that's one and realistically, I think that you could get a restructure done with anger because his play has proven his value. so he's not going anywhere. I would think that he would agree with that. You know, unless punters are are just um, so year-to-year or game-to-game, but he's proven his value over the past two seasons with Dallas, and he's somebody that John Fossil, for most of Anger's career, looked forward to working with him. Just absolutely wanted him with the Rams, and it never happened. And then, all now it's happening in Dallas, and, you know, you get Pro Bowl selections and so forth out of it. So, like I said, I mean, I don't think there's a downside to
0: restructuring Anger from Anger's point of view. And Fossil's going to have to answer to, you know, what the Cowboys answer at Kicker is right now, and moving on from Brett Maher and seeing what they can do at Kicker. So, you know, that's going to be the biggest thing in terms of his future with this coaching staff, and even still though, you could see a case for you know, keeping Brian Anger here. I don't think, you know, your special teams coach is too tied to the players that you keep on that side of the ball in terms of who can still be your, your mainstays. If any coach does fit that special team's coach, it is fossil. You know, the first kick we brought in here was Greg Zerline, so you know, we know that he does keep those connections and Mike McCarthy allows that throughout his staff in terms of both hiring coaches that he's familiar with and letting them kinda of do their thing but you know, part of is such a straightforward position in terms of what you're looking for and how you can evaluate evaluate if they're performing or not. And Brian Inger certainly has, like you said, the stats to feel comfortable that he can be the guy here.
1: So, Sean, Dallas, they re- finalized their coaching staff um, last week. And in finalizing the coaching staff, you, you get to take a look at who they'll be rolling with in 2023. I know we've touched on this a little bit before, but when I look at this staff, I actually see a way. Now, I know I talk about this stuff. It's I don't want it to happen, and I don't care to be right. I'm not really one of those people that um, counts how many times he's right. Or at least that's a little white lie I tell myself. But in this case, <laughs> I don't want to be right about this. But when I look at it, I just—I might
0: uh, let, me, let me say this: I might want you to be right about yeah, it.
1: Yeah. Um. I, I just—I just see a way for Dallas to quickly get out of the Mike McCarthy era if it's not going well uh, in the 2023 season, and then make Dan Quinn interim coach. Um. What were your impressions uh, when you looked at the staff? Because to me, this is why I say that. Joe Witt, who's basically Dan Quinn's lieutenant, has stayed on the staff. So if you went with Quinn as interim, Witt is your defensive coordinator, and then Quinn can look over the team. Schottenheimer can be your play caller for McCarthy if he gets fired. Um it's it just it looks to me like th- that this staff is like you can easily get to a point where Dan Quinn takes over after an zero and four start and still have the sugar plums in your head of competing for a wild card spot.
0: And that's quietly something that we should watch for at the combine. What I mean by that is. You know, take a look at the Cowboys, how much they continue to lean in on, you know, being a defensive first, defensive minded kind of team. If you go back and look at some of Jerry's quotes, you know, going into last year, he was almost kinda of uneasy about the idea that, you know, he understood that the best talent might be on defense and he knew that Quinn was, you know, such a great coordinator that gets the most out of that talent and that certainly how it worked out, but just the way he wants the team build hasn't changed in so many years. So it was that uneasy feeling of, well, you know, we prefer to be an offensive team, especially being as tight as they are with the cap and where the cap space is allocated. It's like, you know, it's great to have talent on defense, but with what we're paying the quarterback, he better perform too. And what we're paying the running back, you know, we better still have a strong offense. And at times they did. And of course, at times they didn't. And those inconsistencies were a highlight of, Kellen Moore's tenure as offensive coordinator and part of why you moved on now this off So this is going to be the off season where you can really completely lean into being a defensive minded team. You know, it's not by accident anymore. It's not, Oh, well, Quinn just came in and made something out of nothing. You know, you have a full, another full off season. Then I don't think many Cowboys fans expected to have. We all thought Quinn would take a head coaching job again this off season. So you have yet another full off season to, you know, to get the players to fit his defense. Understand what he wants to do. Continue to develop these young players like Goso or Quentin Bohan, or anybody you know, Dwayne Armstrong and uh, Duron Bland on the outside at cornerback. Any of these defenders that you know continue to take big strides under Quinn. You have all of that still here. So they would be foolish not to lean in and really just embrace being a defensive team that sure still has work to do on offense and still expects to use you know probably the top draft capital on, let's say, a receiver or offensive line. They understand the work that's cut out for them there, but embrace being a Dan Quinn-led defensive team. And, you know, if it plays out that way on the field the first few weeks of the season, and the reason you're losing games is because you have another output, like, you know, 12 points you scored against the 49ers to end your season, which, you know, was a pretty daunting thing to sit there and look at. It was pretty surprising, of course, that that is the note they ended their season on. So if that's happening early next year, then, yeah, you can fully embrace being a defensive team and hire Dan Quinn as your head coach and go from there. You know, this team led the NFL in takeaways for the second year in a row. That hasn't happened since the 73-74 Steelers. So that was a huge point of concern coming into last year If they can't replicate the turnover luck. And they did that in a way that hasn't been done in such a long time. paired out with the fact that, you know, Dak Prescott only expects a 20-30% change on offense, what he said, going from... Kellen Moore to McCarthy slash Schottenheimer. And I don't think you would be asking too much for Quinn to, you know, take already where your best talent is and then embrace that through, throughout your entire building. As a head coach, I would be kind of weary of, you know, the offensive coordinator being Brian Schottenheimer under Dan Quinn. You know, when he had Kyle Sanahan in Atlanta as his offensive coordinator, he was 19 and 13 for those first two seasons, made the Super Bowl, of course, the 28 to free lead infamously to Tom Brady in New England and then they went to the names like Steve Sarkeesian, Doug Carter and he went 24 and 29 over four seasons so only five more wins and two more seasons to so when he didn't have a great offense in mind like Kyle Sanahan there so Quinn's not the type of coach to call anybody out we you know we're never gonna know how he felt about Kelly Moore and Mike McCarthy and what they did on this offense but you know certainly He knows what Dak Prescott can bring when he's at his best and wants to see the offense put up points so he can do his thing on defense and turn up the pressure and, you know, play the type of defense that gets the best results for this team. So that would be my only point of concern is him leading a team that doesn't have anywhere near the offense that can support being a defensive-minded head coach. But a defensive-minded head coach with this personnel that they have – plus another offseason of getting even better on that side of the ball. Yeah, I think it's set up very nicely for Quinn to be, you know, one of your best candidates as an internal head coach after Mike McCarthy.
1: And we know that the Cowboys liked Dan Quinn as a replacement for Jason Garrett. No, I'm not getting my timelines mixed up. The Cowboys had a sense with how poorly the Falcons were doing in 2019 that Dan Quinn might be fired at the end of the 2019 season. They started 1-7. and seven. And you had um, Jason Garrett. His contract was running out with Dallas. And so they they liked Dan Quinn. They were keeping an eye on the situation. And then right when the season ended, the Falcons decided to give Quinn... Another shot, and GM Thomas Dimitrov, another chance because of how the team responded at the bye week. So, you know, they just didn't fall apart. They attributed it to bad luck, and he got another shot for the 2020 season. Fired him five games into 2020,
0: but... Yeah, they went 0-5. Yeah, but uh,
1: still, it was that timing that really kind of messed up Dan Quinn maybe being the head coach of the Cowboys, or at least it being McCarthy versus Quinn for the job
0: in twenty twenty. And you like I said, you want, you know, your head coach to also match up with of course how your team build and you know where your personnel is. And, you know, I do think this is gonna be an offseason where you continue to add to the defense. So, you know, McCarthy on one hand can say he's been treated fairly in terms of, you know, having free reigns to build a staff in his image and do all these things and get the Joneses to, you know, be influenced in how they both build the staff and the offensive roster and the play calling and CDRM and, you know, drafting him in the first round, all of these things, but then would also be able to turn the page and say, well, you know, these past couple of years, and we're trying to really build this thing up, it's been all allocated to defense and, you know, he doesn't mind what Dan Quinn brings, of course, to his first defensive coordinator hire you know, was his friend, uh, you know, on the staff, who then he had to move on from, and that was still the case, then who knows if McCarthy is even still on this staff. So, you know, he's thankful for what Dan Quinn means for this team, but I can only go so far if it does get to the point of tension where, you know, Quinn feels like he has the best talent on his side of the ball and should be the head coach, and McCarthy now with all the responsibility in the world as the play caller even, you know, has to step up and really show that this offense can do – you know, basically what Kellen Moore was trying to do with it, which is more with us and trying to get the most out of, you know, Michael Gallup who's still recovering and all these things outside of what you have talent wise and offense that you have to overcome that Quinn doesn't quite face those same challenges. It'll be interesting to see again
1: at the combine where Dallas kind of uh, hints that they would like to go on either side of the ball. You have to give the Cowboys credit though. Sean, for what they did with Tyler Smith. Now, as to who gets the credit, um, that's always up for debate because, as we know, the Joneses never get credit for anything good that happens. I mean, some people would rather attribute Joe Smedney uh, with the janitor service who swept a a styrofoam cup in the parking lot as to being why Dallas did well and scored with the Tyler Smith draft pick in round one last year number 24th overall um daniel jeremiah mentioned this on his conference call on february 24th that if smith were going coming out in this year's draft if he had waited another year that he would be the first offensive lineman picked. how much credit do you think the organization and i mean you can attribute Joe Smedney for for sweeping the styrofoam cup if you want but I mean how much credit does the organization need for basically addressing this need and hitting on this
0: pick a year early yeah I took a look at pro football Focus's top 10 offensive linemen going into the combine and you know included in that was where they projected to go at the moment and a couple of solid 1-2 grades, but the only true first-round grades were on the top three, and that's Peter Skolanski out of Northwestern, Paris Johnson Jr. out of Ohio State, and Anton Harrison out of Oklahoma, all of which will be at the Combine, so we'll get to see more about how that stock rises and falls along with the rest of this offensive line class. But you are really the only one in there that kind of fits exactly what the Cowboys are looking for in terms of being the physical mover in the run game and being able to hold up and pass protection would be Paris Johnson and a little bit of Anton Harrison's game out of Oklahoma. But, you know, you look at Paris Johnson, Tyler Smith, who would you rather have? And the deciding factor then comes down to where you could have him in the draft. And I think Johnson will go higher than where Smith did, potentially. But, yeah, Tyler Smith is the perfect fit for what this team was looking for. They got him at a great spot. They took him and immediately threw him out at left tackle, which is, unexpected, but worked out great. So, yeah, looking at this offensive line class, at least at the moment, and we'll see how it changes after the combine, the projections don't seem to, you know, to hurt, to uh, go up against the Cowboys in any way when it comes to being a year early on Tyler Smith, because what you can get this year is pretty much either a top 10 offensive tackle or you're waiting until the second or third round to really find your value there. And I know where they drafted Smith, draft nodes will always be, Quick to point out oh well you're into your second round players on the board anyway and then the Cowboys rebutted that by saying that Smith was you know still a first round grade but even if you do want to include like I said Pff's top 10 only had about five or so first to second round grades and then again you're falling immediately into the second and third round which if you're going around below that you know in the third round you might be drafting a fourth round grade if it really fits your positions of need so off line is even still though, a position of need in Dallas. But because of Tyler Smith, they can push it down to the point where they don't have to necessarily address it in the first round. You can feel better about taking a developmental player, pairing him with the Matt go and the Joss Balls, who we expect to see some progression from, and expecting, of course, Smith to still be a really high-end starter. So they got ahead of this at the right time, like you said, deserve a ton of credit and potentially found a franchise left tackle just won't be available to him at the 26th overall pick this year.
1: Yeah, and that's what I think the theme was of the – 2022 draft was solving problems in the future, but I didn't think the Tyler Smith one would be solved so quickly.
0: Yeah, it was kind of a way to, you know, you took him and you thought he was going to be your starting left guard, and then you put him out to a tackle, and everybody was firing up his Tulsa tape, watching him play tackle, and it really was a struggle, so You know, it just goes to show, like, just how much data NFL teams have on these players that we can never come close to in the media because, yeah, there wasn't much just on the raw tape from him playing tackle at Tulsa to make you feel good at all about, you know, protecting your franchise quarterback, and Dak Prescott, and then he goes and starts playoff games and does just that and gets out there and run blocks the way that they're looking to get back to and sustain now going into year two for him, so... You know, if we could trust the Cowboys front office and scouting staff and Will McClay on one thing and one thing only, it's their ability to evaluate offensive linemen. And again, I think that's still enough of a need where it can, you know, that evaluation can help them again this year and they can get even more depth and talent in here. But it was at the precipice last year when they needed what we thought was a left guard. Instead, found a hybrid left guard, a left tackle, and what that means potentially being able to move on from Tyler Smith and getting some other free agents in here. It's a big deal that Tyler Smith played as well as he did his first year. A really big deal for this team going forward.
1: Yes, it, it solves some problems for them. All right, let's go ahead and take a look at the Cowboys' birthdays for this week. On Wednesday, speaking of overperforming Cowboys' first round picks, Thomas Hollywood Henderson turns 70 years old. He played linebacker from Dallas from 1975 to 1979 and is famous for saying that Terry Bradshaw couldn't spell cat if you spotted him the C or the T. On, on Thursday, <laughs> uh, Ross Tucker, yeah, that Ross Tucker, turns 44 years old. Uh, he was born in, I almost couldn't say this, missing Pennsylvania? Uh, That's even a place?
0: Yeah, I've driven through PA enough. No idea what that is. I'll have to ask uh, a friend of mine who's from there. I'm sure she knows. But I actually got to meet Ross Tucker when I came down to Dallas for the 2018 draft. Couldn't have been nicer to my friend Nick and I, who was covering as well with me. And, you know, we were on the bus to the stadium together, which was a good amount of time to really just sit there and talk to fellow media. And we ended up talking to Ross probably the most over those couple of days worth of bus trips to the stadium. So he couldn't have been cooler. And of course, during the season, he does the uh, like the Ross Spreads thing where he shows videos of the press box food. And so he was doing that at 18th East Stadium as well, which is cool. We would go back to the hotel and you know take a look at what he had to say about the same food that Nick and I were getting. And on Twitter, he does the hashtag show me your beer thing um, where fans that are drinking beer during NFL games or whenever just show them what they're drinking and he shows them Without drinking and have some fun of that, so yeah, Ross couldn't be a, a better guy as far as connecting to the fans and the media, alike and finding a career like so many former Cowboys do, still in football after their playing days are done. So definitely some good memories there with Ross. And then also on the same day
1: as Ross Tucker on Thursday, Mike Nugent turns 39 years old. He was just a kicker for Dallas in 2017, but Sean, did you know? that he is the first opposing kicker in the history of Mercedes-Benz Stadium in Atlanta to miss a field goal, because that's what he did on November twelfth, 2017, in the 27-7 loss to the Falcons. You thought it was just Dak Prescott getting sacked uh, (laughs) Googleplex times. No, it was that. That was the historic moment. Mike Nugent, the burning, the the burning of
0: Atlanta game. game. Yeah, I did not uh, know that, but that's why you subscribe to the Hit Him Yardage podcast, right there.
1: That's right. And then on Friday, Herschel Walker turns sixty-one years old. I can't believe it. Wow. The, yeah. Yeah, the backbone for the trade that got all those picks and helped turn around the Cowboys. Uh, he was with them from '86 to '89, came back from '96 to '97, and actually, I think it was week. 15 yeah week 15 of 1996 he got tackled by Adam Vinatieri on a kickoff return otherwise what? he would have <laughs> scored a touchdown Herschel Walker and- I'm going to need you to try to find video of that yeah it was uh, it was wild then on Saturday Michael Gallup the receiver turns 27 he's been with Dallas since 2018 when they took him as a third round pick out of Colorado State what do you think for Michael Gallup in 2023? You think that it looks better for him?
0: I still hope so for his sake. You know, he's a teammate first type of guy in terms of everybody else in the offense knows that when he's fully healthy, what he brings and they're really looking for that. And they were kind of just counting on it, you know, too soon coming off the injury this past year. So it was kind of unfair to Gallup in a way, but. Yeah, this is another receiver that Prescott trusts and I think it's a you know, full off season of more recovery for him could really make a difference. You think about Mike McCarthy's offense and some of the shorter routes that it features and, you know, getting Gallup on the move more, letting him use that big body over the middle of the field, certainly things could be looking up in a much different way than they were this past season for Michael Gallup. So, you know. The other foot of that is that sometimes ACL injuries, you never see a recovery and the Cowboys have to make, you know, kind of a tough decision going forward with that. But the idea that CDLM and Michael Gallup can be a really strong one, two certainly I don't think is dead just yet. And, you know, Gallup is going to have a lot to say about that in terms of his own work ethic and the way, what he brings to his offense to try to get back to that next season.
1: Yeah. And I think that they'll have enough data to make a, a, an informed decision as to how they address receiver for this season, given where Michael Gallup's at. You know, they've been in the building, you know, with the – I know the off – I mean, the on-field stuff doesn't start till April, mid-April for Dallas. But all of the weight room stuff and everything has been going on since – february so i think they'll have an idea of michael gallup coming back really with a lot of these guys it's getting over the mental of just the horrendous injury happening again and once they get that confidence back that it's not going to happen again or just you know kind of accepting it that's really where they start to return to their old selves
0: absolutely and one thing I've heard about a ton this offseason and continuing into it or I should say last offseason with Gallup is you know the idea that his best plays back when you had you know Mario Cooper still on the team were kind of was kind of those unscripted light in the down plus got out of the pocket you know that bad ball catcher on the sideline unscripted type of plays. so one of the things that potentially could have you know hurt him more to see of course was not having that talent around him and having to be more of a scripted part of the offense. I'm not saying he's not a good enough route runner to do those things or, you know, to be a receiver that you can call plays for, of course, but having to consistently be that guy and have defenses prepare for him in that way as well, as opposed to just the unscripted late in or down, we have to account for am and Cooper and, oh, by the way, there's Gallup. It's so now he has to also mentally prepare coming off the injury, but for being more of that featured receiver that McCarthy, you know, also needs to feel that pressure of getting him the ball and some easy catches. And, you know, I don't see any reason why he can't be the type of receiver that, you know, say a Kadarius Tony was for the chiefs. Once he came over from the giants and made that, you know, that catch in the flat for a touchdown and doesn't quite have the speed of Tony, but you kind of get where I'm going with the influence of the West coast offense or what Gallup can mean. And by the way, Mark, as we wrap up here, so extensive research I mentioned doing before this show, you bring all the good stats of Mike Nugent and whatnot. I know you were off to Indianapolis, right, for the NFL combine. I have been slacking on trying to find you a pork leg and cheese sandwich in North uh, Northeast Ohio, right? But I found you, I think, a place in Indianapolis that might get the job done. It's called Big Dave's Deli. It's in Zionville. And I'm looking at a picture of their menu, and they kind of have the confusing cop-out answer of calling it a Taylor Pork and Cheese Sandwich. Like, So you'd have to ask your server if it's pork roll or Taylor Ham and report back, of course. But right here on the menu, I can see the picture. Hot Sandwiches, Taylor Pork and Cheese, has some good reviews. And so there's was my five minutes of extensive research on where you can get a pork leg at season in Indianapolis. Feel free to uh, you know do some more research and find a couple other places because I'm sure Big Dave's isn't the only one. But as far as uh, getting this done in Indianapolis, yeah, go check out Big Dave's. It looks like it's about 20 minutes or so from the stadium.
1: Well, not only that, but I will be asking anyone who's from New Jersey at the Combine, I don't care who they are, if it is a Taylor Am <laughs> sandwich or a pork roll sandwich you bet your bottom Benjamin I will
0: Oh, that's going to be awesome yeah for anyone that's new to listening to this you know Mark fully means that too he will he will tweet it out he will report back on this show so yeah, we, you know when Mark says he's going to get to the bottom of something and get an answer get an interview or you know find the data to support something uh, he gets it done so yeah I actually now can't wait to hear uh, you know what those Jersey natives end up saying in Indianapolis about it being pork roll or Taylor ham but if you do go to Big Daves again you got to ask your server what it is too because their menu makes it confusing the menu says Taylor pork or without the roll at the end so now I don't really know what side of the fence they're on either
1: yeah we'll we'll get to the bottom of that too and you can follow me on Twitter at the real Mark Lane follow Sean at Sean Martin NFL and uh, here comes the combine I'm gonna go get ready for my 40-time drill, so there it is.